Yep. Day bears is the gift that keeps on giving. It's kind of it's kind of like a uh, get out of jail free car, like in a low. Uh, let me contact Dave Ayers about something right, real quick. Right. So anytime that we have a low from here on out, we're just gonna be like, "Hey, you guys remember Dave Ayers?" And boom. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. So, uh, Pace, I appreciate you being here on the episode. We have tons of stories, and um, we talked about before we started recording. I just want to fast track right to when you left Raleigh to go to D.C. And if you want to kind of, of course, you know, kind of talk about the job title, job criteria, and what you kind of started off with, with the Canes that kind of transitioned you into going to D.C. and kind of the reason of why you left for D.C. Yeah, so, um, man, it all, it all happened really fast, and, you know, I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people before in the sports industry where um, they all say right place, right time, how lucky they were. And I'm, I'm absolutely in that boat as well. Um, so I, I had an internship with the Hurricanes um, PR department my senior year at Carolina. Um, and I knew that that's where I wanted to be and that's what I wanted, wanted to do. Um, but it's just so hard to get your foot in the door and once your foot's in the door, you know, working your way up. So I actually, I accepted a part-time position with the Hurricanes, uh, when I graduated from Carolina and they had told me it was going to pay me $12,000 a year, but you got to do what you got to do and you got to grind. So, um, I accepted it, but that was the 2012, 13 season, which if you'll remember was lockout shortened. So it was only 48 games. I was unemployed from the time I graduated until the season started in January. I, I only ended up making like $6,000 that year because it was so short. Um, but, you know, in, in, you have to grind. You have to do that kind of stuff just to keep yourself relevant. Um, so that season finishes up with no promise of employment anywhere else whatsoever and um, truly entered unemployment for the first time in uh, my life and my career. And that was not a fun summer. Um, but then in, uh, June, um, of that year, 2013, I got an email from my old boss with hurricanes, Kyle Hanlon. He said, Hey, there's an opening in Washington. I'm going to tell them that you're interested. You need to apply right now. So I did. And I was actually at a buddy's wedding in Atlanta. So I applied while I was there. And then that Sunday, you know, I get an email back that was like, we'd love to have you come. Uh, I'd love to have you on a phone interview. So I told my I told Kyle, I was like, man, this is awesome. Um, I got a phone interview and he was like, you're an idiot. DC's four hours away. You respond right now and say you're driving up there and you're going to do an in-person interview. So hopped in the car, did an in-person interview, um, got the job on a Friday. They wanted me to start the next Wednesday. So you talk about a whirlwind. I mean, never been to DC before in my life. Uh, never been in a, never lived in a big city before. So packed up the U-Haul, hopped in my trailblazer and drove up to DC and lived in an apartment that I signed a 14 month lease for sight on. So it was a whirlwind, but you know, when you're working in sports, you got to go where the jobs are and you got to be ready to go at a moment's notice and be willing to do anything. And yeah, that was, that was the experience. It was quick. And next thing I knew I was, you know, working for the Washington Capitals. Jeez. That's, that's the world. <laughs> and yeah. I feel like just having that sense of uncertainty of not having a job and everything. So um, was, it, was it kind of the same criteria? Was it the exact job you were looking for at DC when you first went there? Were there other options that you, like, I guess in other words, would you have wanted to stay at Canes? Like, was that kind of wishful thinking to 
kind of your comfort here? You want to stay in Raleigh or you think it was a good thing you left at the time? I mean, hindsight's 2020 and, and moving to DC was, you know, the best thing I've ever done in my life. Um, you know, I, I met my wife, Katie, in DC and wouldn't have met her if I had never moved there before. And, you know, that alone makes it the best. Yeah, done. <laughs> I've ever made. Um, but, you know, working in, working in PR and working for a team was my number one goal. That was the dream. And, you know, growing up as a sports fan, uh, I realized at a pretty early age, I was not put on this earth to be a professional athlete. So <laughs> I, much to my dismay. So I started to research ways I could be as, you know, as close to the fire, I guess you could say, as, as close to being in it as I could. And PR seemed to be, PR for a professional sports team seemed to be a, you know, my best option. So yeah, I wanted to work for the Hurricanes. I was a Hurricanes fan and having that internship and that part-time job, that, that alone was a dream come true. And if I had never done anything else in sports from then on, I would have been satisfied. But, um, you know, Mike and Kyle Hanlon, who had been there before, and then Mike Sunheim, who's my counterpart now, they had been there since day one, since the Hurricanes had been to Raleigh and they weren't going anywhere. So I knew they weren't just going to create a position out of thin air for me. So I kind of knew in the back of my head all along, I was going to have to go somewhere else. And I'm just, I'm so unbelievably thankful that it ended up, ended up being Washington, which, you know, huge media market, great team, and still, you know, close to home, a four hour drive away from home. So um, I would have been willing to go to Winnipeg or Calgary, uh, you know, right. Or somewhere, you know, not so great. If, if it had gotten to that point, um, I was willing to do something outside of PR, but man, I was just so fortunate to be where I was when this position opened up that it, you know, it wasn't a great city. It was for a great team and it was exactly what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So how was the transition for your job as far as going from a team as hurricanes, although it's grown obviously now with, you know, over the years, but I mean, comparing a smaller, you know, market in Raleigh to DC, like how much pressure did you feel right away? You were having to deal with a team of this you know magnitude and, and relevancy it was night and day it it was so opposite I was drowning every single day for the first year and I would I would I would work until like 10 or 11 p.m every night just trying to stay afloat and stay above water um it's it's so funny because my uh I mean there's there were so many huge learning curves uh one of which was my second day of work, we had a big meeting with um, the Wizards PR staff, the Verizon Center PR staff, the Mystics PR staff, because they're all under the same umbrella. And um, I had met all these people on my first day. The second day, we had this big meeting. Um, so I was like, I'm going to give them a little bit of Southern hospitality. I know there's a Bojangles in DC. I'm going to run to Bojangles. I'm going to grab a bunch of Bojangles and bring it to this meeting. Everyone's going to love it. So I wake up early, I metro out there to the Bojangles, I get all this Bojangles, and I'm metroing to the arena for this meeting, and I text my boss, Sergey, and I was like, hey, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. And he was like, what? You cannot be late on your second day to this meeting. Are you kidding me? And I was like, no, no, it'll be worth it. So I walk in there 10 minutes late, and everyone's already like, they're, they're pretty perturbed with, with me. And, but I'm like, no, 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 it's good. So I unzip my book bag and pull out a big bow box and sweet tea, and no one flinches. No one even <laughs> flinches. So I put all this, this, these biscuits and everything out there and I'm eating it and I'm all happy and the meeting starts and everyone's just like mad that I'm late. No one touches it. So we get to lunchtime and I'm like starting to pass out biscuits. I was like, who wants what? And like the head guy was just like, okay, no, we're going to go to a sandwich shop. 
and no one, I was, that was my like, welcome to DC moment. You're not in the South anymore. Because obviously if you do that in an office in the South, you're a hero and no one, like nobody touched it. Um, so the next day, if that wasn't bad enough, the next day, my boss goes on vacation. He'd already had it planned. So I'm by myself and uh, the GM at the time, George McPhee comes to my office and he goes, Hey, we're signing Mikhail Grabowski. Uh, you need to put together a press conference and a press release. And I was like, okay. And he leaves the room and I was like, oh my, how, how, I don't know how to do this. I've never done this before. So write the press release, everything's fine. Um, and then it's time for the press conference. I had arranged for the press conference, backdrop, whatever, everyone's coming. And I go to grab George McFree, George McPhee and he's gone. And I ask his receptionist, I was like, where is he? And she was like, oh, he brushes his teeth before every press conference. So I run to the bathroom, he's not in there. I run back and I was like, was he here? And she was like, yeah, you just missed him. He was looking for you. And I was like, of course he's looking for me. The press conference was supposed to start five minutes ago. So I run downstairs and he has started it without me. Like he is talking to the media without me about this signing. And when the press conference was over, he walked out and slapped me on the back as hard as I've ever been hit. And he goes, don't worry, Pace, we'll knock the rust off you. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, we're not in Raleigh anymore. This is not a small market. Like they operate a little differently here. And I'm going to, I got to figure this out quick or I'm about to get left in the dust. So yeah, I was, I was thrown into the fire quickly. And I realized that there was a big difference between the Raleigh media market and Washington. <laughs> wow. That's uh, that's, I didn't realize all I, I knew you had a connection with Bojangles up there that, that carries on now into the Canes. Right. Um, yes. Talk about that a little bit, actually. That wasn't really what I, on the on the plan to talk about, but I know it's, it's I've been fascinating seeing kind of that carryover between you know the Caps and the and the Canes with with the Bojangles and stuff over the years. Yeah, so um, Raleigh Center Ice, the practice rink in Raleigh, that's you know about to be defunct, um, is on the same street as a Biscuitville, and um, the Caps guys back in the day when they would practice at the practice rink, they were like, oh yeah, we're going to Biscuitville. So when I first got the job they were calling me biscuit bill. And then in the situation where I brought the Bojangles, they were like, Oh, this is this, we're calling this guy biscuit. Like he's all about biscuits. Right. So when Mike and Kyle, the two PR guys back with hurricanes caught wind of that, they loved it. And they were like, okay, we gotta, we gotta do something with this. And we had already like joked about having a trophy for the season series between the two teams and the biscuit cup was born. Uh, from there. So that's something that's carried on now. I guess this is its seventh year. Um, the winner of the season series between the Hurricanes and the Capitals, the winning PR staff gets the Biscuit Cup, along with $50 in gift cards to Bojangles. So the Hurricanes won it the first year. Mike and Kyle won it. They got the trophy, their names engraved in it and everything. Um, and then the Capitals reeled off three straight. So I was a part of the three straight and then my first year back in Carolina, we won it back. So I, I had a four-peat with the Biscuit Cup, which is probably the highest honor I've ever achieved in my career. <laughs> you need to add it to your LinkedIn profile. A hundred percent, yeah. That's, that's got to be in my Twitter bio somewhere. I'm, I'm <laughs> Oh, man. So kind of backtracking back to the, the, the seat, kind of your time with the Caps. You know, year after year, like on paper, this team was legit, right? Like roster stacked, like. Stand the cup favorite. I mean, not you know favorites of every year to, to make it to the top, right? And how fr how frustrating was it, you know, for you year after year to come just a little bit, just a little short 
And then, of course, we'll transition into the inevitable question of how you felt. The yeah, year after you left, I so. figured that was coming. Okay. <laughs> and, also, and also how I feel you and Bryce Harper have a lot of similarities. You know, both of you all left yeah. your, your, your city of Washington to only be betrayed the year after you left. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start with the good. Let's start with yeah, some yeah, of those, yeah. those, those good Capitals teams. Um, my first year, my first year in Washington, we missed the playoffs. That was like a rebuilding year. Uh, they fired the GM and the head coach, Adam Oates and um, George McPhee. And I mean, obviously, you know, two of the best hires that organizations ever made was uh, Brian McClellan as GM and Barry Trotz as head coach. I'd run through a wall for both of those guys today. Um, and that first year with Barry, my second year up there, up three to one on the Rangers in um, the second round, not only up three to one, but up one nothing in game five with just over a minute left. And um, the Rangers tied up in game five. They went in OT in game five. And then um, to be in MSG on the road in overtime in game seven and lose that game. And that I was like, wow, that's, that's things can't get any worse than that. <laughs> and the next two years, we, we somehow top it. Uh, that next year, that team won, won the President's Trophy in just like if we lost a game, we were stunned. Like that team was incredible, set all kinds of records, like was flirting with like NHL records for wins in a season right till the end. Um, and then, yeah, just hit, hit Pittsburgh in the second round. And they just, they were a buzzsaw. They were just, they were so hot and lost that game on the road in overtime in game six. And what was so terrible about that one is there was a ton of traffic and a ton of construction leaving the arena that night. And we had like an hour and a half bus ride back to the airport. And then, you know, one of the bad things about DC is you have to fly into Dulles. So even when you get back to DC, it's a 40 minute ride back to Arlington. So that was a terrible night. And then, okay, you reload, you come back the next year. That team is even better. They don't win as many games. They're even better. Like, you feel like you've you've learned a lot from the previous two seasons and the failures and um, go down three to one and go down three to one to Pittsburgh in the second round. And you're like, this is not going to happen again. And to that team's credit, they fought all the way back and forced to game seven. And we, when we won game six and we were going back to DC for game seven, man, we were like, we're going to win the cup. And those, those two seasons that we had won the president's trophy, we knew who, whoever won the Pittsburgh series was going to win the Stanley cup. And it was, it ended up being true, but it just, it wasn't us. And just, uh, yeah, had a ton of great chances in that game seven and didn't score on any of them and Pittsburgh won. So that was the end of my time in Washington. And um, I, you know, had the opportunity to come back home that summer and was in such a good place professionally and personally and like knew beyond a reasonable doubt it was the right time and the right move. And especially with looking at the way that that Washington roster was stacking up, like, like they're not, they're not going anywhere. They're not doing anything. I felt like I was coming to the hurricanes and everyone was going in different directions and boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they, they won the cup the first year without me and that's kind of, indescribable the emotions of sitting on the couch having missed the playoffs and watching that team do that um your initial reaction i think as someone who developed relationships with a lot of those people is you're thrilled to see how 
you know, great people who work really hard and deserve this are getting what they deserve, right? They beat Pittsburgh in that game six in overtime. Awesome. Slay the dragon, move on to conference finals for the first time. Couldn't be happier for some of those guys. But then they start beating Tampa and they're crushing Tampa, who was sick that year. And you're like, wait a second, this isn't really, this isn't really gonna happen, is it? And sure enough, they beat Tampa. And then I'm like, okay, this this stings, this stings badly. And we had a we had a because there was a ton of people that left that year, both trainers, a uh, bunch of players, and we had a group chat of guys who had left that year and it was like nine people and it was like a support group. Like every time, <laughs> every time leading up to the game, we'd all be like, are you guys watching? No, I'm not watching. Are you watching? No, I'm not watching. And then they'd win and we'd be like, boys, what are we, what are we going to do here? So yeah, I mean, not going to lie to you. I shed some tears when, uh, when they won and um, that next morning getting a FaceTime from some of those guys at like four in the morning, Vegas time, still out partying. <laughs> Uh, that was good, you know, to see that they were doing well, but, um, I'm not sure if it's something that I regret. I love where I'm at. Um, I love being back in Raleigh and I love being for the hurricanes, but to be, all I had to do was not do anything and I'd have a Stanley cup ring and have been a part of that family, um, and that legacy, but you know, everything happens for a reason. And the big fell upstairs doesn't make mistakes and I was not meant to be a part of that team. So yeah. Um, I just, I look forward to, I look forward to winning one here and funny story. So, you know, Jordan Stahl won a cup in Pittsburgh and then he left and they won two more. Um, so one of those days after the caps won, I sent Jordo a text and I said, Jordo, man, just tell me it's going to get better. Like, tell me it's not going to hurt forever. And he was like, don't worry, man. Like, just don't look at social media these next few days. It's going to be fine. And then there was a pause and he texted me. He goes, just kidding. It's going to hurt forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> so we, we always joke. I was like, you know, Jordo, after everything that we've been through, when we win, I can't wait for you to be the one to hand me the Stanley Cup. I was like, you know, I, I don't, and he's captain now. And I was like, I don't have to be in the top five guys that touch it, but I definitely expect to be in the top 10. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely top five. Like you're, right. you're going to skip or skip Marty, skip all of them and just be right to you after. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care what order I get it, but when we win it, I need, I need Jordo to be the one who actually hands it to me. Just run out there, you know, just run out there. Kind of actually speaking of running out there, kind of like what you did. Uh, isn't that kind of how you got a picture with Aaron Andrews back at Carolina? You just ran out yep. on the court and just did yep. the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She was working one of the games and the game was over, and I just ran out there and got a picture with her. And it's worth it. Too. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's a class. You had the gift for it. <laughs> you had the gift for yeah, it. So exactly. <laughs> so I think it's kind of uh I think selfishly everyone loves having you back in Carolina. I'm sure your family does. I know you do just as far as because also you're coming back here at a good time too. You know, you came back to a hurricane squad that now is I would think I mean anytime you have a, the whole rebuilding process from years ago, you think it's gonna take years, but just going back for how it ended up last year, almost ahead of the curve, I would think, with how the young players have performed and everything. So how was it kind of coming back to Carolina, you know, in this atmosphere of these young players that you probably saw before this this past season? You saw there's there's a spark here that's gonna that's gonna erupt. For sure. And just from you know, from an outsider, from someone who was working for Washington, but you know, obviously still had a vested interest in the health and the well being of, of the team, you could see the pieces were there 
Um, and when, you know, Justin Williams signed here and him and I had a conversation and he was like, yeah, you can see the way these teams are trending. You can see the way that they're going and to just completely fall flat and to not have any of that happen that first year was devastating. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely second guessed a lot of things. And, um, but it was really similar to my first year in Washington, you know, get rid of the head coach and the GM, you know, um, part way was with Ronnie and Bill Peters and, um, gave, brought in Don and Rod Brindamore, two guys from in-house and the change in the culture and everything was instantaneous. Um, Rod Brindamore is one of the greatest men I've ever been around in my entire life. And, um, he has just instilled his work ethic, uh, and his will in each and every one of these players. And, um, I forget who said it, it might've been, uh, Luke DeCock with the news observer. He said, Rod created a team of Rod Brindamore's. And we saw that, we saw that last season, which is how gritty they were and how hard they played. And that team was not, the, that team was not skilled enough on paper to make it to the conference finals, but they were hungry enough and they worked hard enough and uh, they were well-conditioned enough. And man, it was just, it was a Cinderella run. And um, a lot of people around here, a lot of fans, you know, it was kind of the culmination of a lot of years of, of heartache and investment. And um, I think carrying it over into this year and the position that we're in now, like the, the, the sleeping monster is awake. And I think that we've got the, the team and the organization built to, to make some noise here for a long time. I kind of wanted to dive into just your, specifically your, your friendship with Aho. I feel like it goes, like you said, far beyond the dabbing video and stuff like that. So <laughs> what about like, you know, him, for example, is, is, uh, has been so great with you as far as just seeing him and kind of explain y'all's friendship, you know, and how that kind of, kind of transpires, you know, with him across other teammates you know other players as well yeah um I mean that's that's kind of the cool things with him is um you know when I first got here he was uh, certainly reserved a little more reserved and wasn't as comfortable with the language as, as he is now and you know seeing him grow as a player has completely been parallel to him growing like as a as a leader um and someone who's comfortable in the locker room and with the language and just as a, as a new guy, he was just one of the first guys as me being a new guy. He was one of the first guys I just kind of connected with him. Um, yeah, that dabbing video obviously <laughs> went viral, but funny story about that was, okay. So after you win, um, all the coaches and the trainers and the equipment staff, just they line up in the locker room to greet the team when they come back in, you just, you do fist bumps. I always call it fist bump city. Um, and I forget when it was, but Brock McGinn one time went to give me a fist bump and I went for it and he dabbed in my face mm. and, uh, Seabass was like right behind him and he loved it. So then he started doing it too. So after a few times of me being left hanging, I just started dabbing back and that's kind of how that was born. So, uh, Mike Sondheim, uh, the VP of, of comms and team services with the hurricanes, he had seen that video where I was like kind of in the background doing that. And he created that video that was supposed to be like a, um, you know, an NHL disciplinary video and just nailed it. And obviously like within Twitter and the hockey community, it just exploded. And um, yeah, I mean, that was, that's, that was not out of the ordinary. That's something that we did and still do every day after the game. That was just something that got on camera, um, which is kind of like the, the next thing with, with Seabass was, um, 
so you're going to love the story because it's, it's kind of involves Roy Williams, but game seven in that Washington series, like I was a mess. I wanted to win that game like deep in my loins. Like I was, I wanted to beat them so badly the year after they had won the cup without me. And um, I was super, super, super nervous that day. But um, Katie, my wife, uh, she's an oncology nurse at UNC and she was applying to nurse practitioner school at UNC. And we knew that day that she was going to find out if she got into NP school or not. So we were like, this is either going to be the best day or the worst day. I think it was a Wednesday. And she called me that morning and she got in. So I was like, okay, the edge is off. This is a great day no matter what. Like, obviously, I still want to win really badly, but, you know, this is, this is a good day for us. And um, that afternoon, I don't know why, but I was watching these old videos from UNC basketball senior night in March. And I think it was like Kenny Williams and Luke May. And Kenny had told this story about the night before the national championship game in 2017 that Roy had told them to, when they go to sleep that night, he wanted them to visualize who was going to be the first person they hugged after they won. So Kenny, uh, Kenny said that uh, Justin texted him on the way to the arena and said, I'm going to hug you when the clock hit zero. And sure enough, the clock hit zero and Justin Jackson, it just beelines it to the bench to hug Kenny Williams. Um, so I watched that, that afternoon and I was like, man, like I can't wait to, to have that feeling tonight when we win. And uh, I don't know why, but Seabass was in the hallway cutting his stick and I saw him and I went up to him and I said, Seabass, man, I cannot wait to hug you after we win tonight. And he said, yeah, you're right. That's going to be awesome. So Double OT, I'm in the training room, and the, we, we score, and I am screaming at the top of my lungs, we won, and sprinting out to the bench. And, like, I'm hugging the trainers, and I open the gate to step out into the ice, and Seabass is already skating towards me. And what was so awesome about that was the Fox Sports Carolina's broadcast, for whatever reason, cut to him, and they got video of him giving me that hug, which we had talked about before the game because of Roy Williams. So – um yeah man it's just that's that's something that that moment is one I'll I'll cherish forever and I'm thankful that there's you know like a video of that um and I'm glad that it was with Seabass because he certainly um is one of the the better guys I've met in this league and you know in in my role it's you kind of have to develop those relationships with players so that they trust you and you know you can trust them um and man you spend so much time together it's everyone really does become your family so um, yeah, he's definitely, uh, someone who I enjoy being around. I enjoy spending time with, um, but there's, there's a lot of guys like that on this team. We've got a really good group and a really good, um, group of guys that have really strong friendships, even though they haven't necessarily been around each other that long. That's awesome. And uh, you talk about all the different people on the team and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's. That's awesome. Um, you know, with Aho and stuff being here, uh, they play golf a lot together too, right? Does Aho play golf a lot? And I think I've seen videos of them recently yeah, the, playing golf. And I, I feel like, is that, is that kind of a common occurrence with golf, with hockey players? A lot of them are just great golfers as well. Oh, for sure. Ab absolutely. <laughs> like it's very similar motion, I guess. Um, Morgan Hoffman is a pro golfer and um, he's good buddies with Justin Williams and, uh, he came to watch practice one time and I was talking to him and he said that Justin Williams is the best non-pro golfer he's ever played with in his entire life. Like these guys are 
these guys are sick. Like they're not just going out there hacking around. Like they're, they're, they're pretty good. So yeah, we've got a couple big golfers on the team and obviously with the amount of golf courses around here, they can easily get out there. And that's definitely probably the number one hobby for our guys and around the league is getting out there and playing 18. That's very true. Going through, uh, so going on to kind of the next section, um, not just saying in Raleigh, but when you're traveling with the team, right? What's some of your favorite cities to uh, travel into as far as, uh, for example, like best food? Like, what's the place you look on the schedule? Like, oh, I'm going to Nashville. Yeah, going to- I mean, I'm, I'm super biased now, but uh, like my favorite food city is DC just because I like I know the lay of the land so well. And being in there for the playoffs last year, actually getting to spend a few nights there was unbelievable. Um, what's so funny about the NHL is there's certain places that everybody knows about and everybody goes to, and they're always like dive bars. They're never like, you know, touristy places. So, um, yeah, like a, a city that I really like that maybe you wouldn't expect is Columbus because there's a, uh, there's a couple of like really good gritty bars around there. And, uh, one of my favorite dive bars uh, in the country is Char Bar in Columbus, which is right next to the hotel. But Char Bar is legendary. Like you mentioned that to anyone in the NHL, they're going to know it. Um, there's this little place in Santa Monica when we go out to LA called Shea J. And it's just dinky little French joint on the ocean, that same thing. It's just legendary. Um, but yeah, I'd say, I'd say DC is the best food between La Diplomat, uh, Philomena, Surfside, places like that, man. Like. You just, you can't, you can't beat that. What about, uh, put aside PNC, obviously. Um, what's one of the, just like the craziest stadiums is the atmosphere. Like you can, th- you can throw in noise, atmosphere, pregame stuff. Like what's the stadium that kind of, kind of reaches out to you as far as being a stadium that's kind of a must too, if you're, if you're going to travel to different stadiums. Yeah. I mean, it's all the, it's, it's the ones that you would expect. Uh, MSG is just a special building. You, you know when you're walking in there that that's a special place. You think about, you know, the MJ's performances there, LeBron playing there, but not to mention just like that place is always rowdy every single night. You know during warm-ups you're going to be standing on the bench looking across at, you know, Hollywood people or famous TV stars sitting over in their famous person section um that they have a great vantage point from the press box it's actually like a like a catwalk that hangs down it's unbelievable so msg is number one um number two i think would be uh toronto and uh scotia bank arena or whatever it's called now it changes all the time um that's one of those places where my first time there i was sitting on the bench during warm-ups and they were playing like Drake zero to a hundred when the team first went out there and I was looking around and I was just like, I cannot believe I'm here. Like how lucky am I to be in Toronto? Like you look up at all those Stanley cup banners up there, man, it's just, and we've had some pretty interesting uh, situations there recently. I actually, uh, we won a playoff series in overtime uh, with Washington there and the Dave Ayers thing. I mean, that place has some good, some good memories. So those, those two places are the two places I think has, as far as the arenas go that always put on a good show and really jump off the page to me. Whenever you've done those going to visiting stadiums, do you ever actually personally have to walk on ice to the tunnel or is most of your stuff kind of done? You're kind of behind scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. That would be my biggest fear is slipping on the ice in front of me. Right. Right. No, I'm, I'm back in the locker room. I, uh, I got to pop out to the bench um, every now and then to, for gig eye for an interview or to, you know, take pictures for social media during warmups. Um, but no, I'm usually just in, in the back behind the scenes, 
sweating it out watching the games like everyone else on the tv <laughs> just like watching you on the tv but you're there exactly um, that you brought it up and honestly for this section i wanted to just kind of shut up and hear every part of this story just the whole dave ayer saying especially like <laughs> you know like this is a section where like, i'm not going to ask questions you're one of the very few people and your video went viral right like why following him out to the tunnel just walk us through you know, every time you go to an away stadium, there's always a guy on call, right, to be goalie and stuff like that. So kind of just right. kind of build the platform and then talk about it from your viewpoint of just how the story emerged, traveling afterwards and stuff. Yeah, so um, that's it's, it's kind of a weird thing, a quirky rule in the NHL. But, man, once you stop and think about it, like, there's no better option. Um, so every team, every home game, the home team has to provide an emergency backup goalie, an e-bug is what it's called. Um, and that guy, like, he can't drink. He needs to bring his pads. And, you know, he needs to somewhat know how to stop the puck. He needs to have played goalie at some level. Um, but they just – they get – it's free season tickets. And, you know, every once in a while they might have to throw in a jersey, but they're never going into a game. They get to just sit there and relax. So we had this situation uh, in the playoffs last year, actually, uh, when we were in um, Long Island. Um, one of the goalies got hurt during the game. So the backup went in. Um, so we had to go grab the Islanders e-bug. And this guy was just a college kid. And it went how it usually went. He signs his amateur tryout, which is $0. He sits in this little room, uh, separate from the player's locker room, puts his pads on. And then if the time comes, we give him a jersey and he goes on the ice. But that never happens. It's not going to happen. We don't have to worry about it. So fast forward to Toronto that was a huge game for us. Like we were on the outside looking in the playoffs and Toronto was on, on the fringe and like we needed two points. And um, that's a tough place to play. That's a tough place to win. And we had gotten out to a great start. Um, I think Rhymes, Reimer got hurt first when a fluke thing, Slavin falls into him and he goes back into the locker room. And um, so Mrazic came in, but you know, Mrazic's a good goal. You only think twice. So um I'm sitting up in the press box when I watch Reimer get hurt. And my first thought is I go into PR mode and I was like, okay, I need to go see what's wrong with Reimer. So I go down to the locker room and he's in the back and, you know, he's kind of trying to test it, test his leg out. And um, eventually he decides that he doesn't think he can do it. And the trainers are like, you know, I don't think that you can, you can't go back in. So I'm like, okay, I need to go ahead and let everyone know that James Reimer will not return lower body injury. Um, which funny side note is this is a Saturday night in Toronto. So it is a hockey night in Canada broadcast. Hockey night in Canada is the equivalent in Canada to what Monday night football is in the U S it is a weekly um, spotlighted matchup that the entire country tunes into. So you think about like big Monday night football matchups get huge ratings. Imagine that in Canada, but it's with hockey and like, 80% of the entire population of the country is watching. Like, Hockey Night in Canada is a huge deal. And it's in Toronto, the biggest media market in the league. So I'm texting everyone, emailing everyone, James Arnold will not return. So all that time, the period ended. And I look over and I see Bob Gorman, our head equipment guy, sewing a jersey. And I was like, oh, crap, I completely forgot about the e-bug. I need to go talk to this guy. So um, I asked Bob, I was like, where is he sitting? And he was like, oh, he's around the corner in the little room. So... I walk in there and he is just the nicest guy. Uh, certainly a little older than I expected him to be, but the nicest guy. And we just start chatting and 
was like, what's your background? Um, this and that. And he's like, you know, I'm actually the practice goalie for the Maple Leafs. Whenever they want to give a goalie a break, I take shots to the Maple Leafs. So I'm at ease. And he's also the emergency backup for the Toronto Marlies, their AHL team. And he had to e-bug for the Charlotte Checkers, our affiliate, earlier that month. Didn't get into the game. But I was like, okay, this is a good guy. So I'm typing all this out to text the people. I'm typing this all out in a tweet. And he's sending me the pictures. And he, I was like, anything else you want to add? And he goes, yeah, I got a kidney transplant in 2004. And I was like, holy crap, man. What a story this guy is. So send the tweet out the tweet goes viral right away and because there were so many people were watching the broadcast um and you know i come back and ask him if he needs anything he's fine he's watching the game on his phone and i was like okay i don't have an amateur tryout with me let me talk to toronto you know we'll get you to sign that if you have to go in but we're not going to worry about that so i say all right buddy we'll see you after the game to pretty much see him after the game to get the jersey back mm-hmm. so I go back in the training room just in time to see Raz just get completely run. Like helmet comes flying off, like shoulder to head contact and the head goes in the ice. And I just feel like the life gets sucked out of me. And in that moment, I just take off sprinting because I knew I needed to like go tell this guy. So I, I run into the room and there's Dave and he's already getting his shoulder pads on. And I don't even say a word. And he looks at me and he goes, am I going in? Like so excitedly. And I was like, let's, let's hang on. Let's, let's, let's take a second and see if, if Raz is better. But Dave is like thrilled, not nervous, just pure excitement. So he's, he's putting his shoulder pads on and putting his jersey on and about to put his gloves on. And the game went to commercial. And when it came back, mind you, we're like hunched over his phone it's Doug Bennett, our trainer, like carrying Morazic off the ice. So I just looked at him and I was like, no big deal, buddy. Hockey night in Canada and Toronto, you're going in. So he's just like, from that moment on, I knew we were in good shape because he was thrilled. I could not contain his excitement. Like puts on his helmet. They unlock the door between his room and our locker room. He walks through our locker room. And as he's walking out to the ice, uh, James Reimer, who played in Toronto, who knew him, grabbed him and was like good luck buddy man it's a great group of guys they're gonna play hard in front of you and I was just like okay I pull out my phone I just start recording and I follow him all the way out to the ice and the reception the crowds gave him and all the players lined up and tapping their six four man it was unbelievable but uh the rest of that night was very stressful because he allowed a goal in each of his first two shots and man that they just the, the team just locked down in front of them and played really hard in front of them and you you try to not let yourself get your hopes up but when there was like 10 seconds left and we were up three I was like wow this guy he's really gonna do it so um it was kind of like a fairy tale you know you you don't even like realize what you just watched but you know you're you're experiencing something special um so he comes off the ice and I was like man I'm gonna I'm gonna earn my money tonight so he did all kinds of different interviews and hits and things like that mind you on the team service side I'm trying to get it over quickly because we got to fly back to Raleigh that night um, but I just I get his information as quick as I can and I was like man we're gonna fly you out to Raleigh if you're free we had a game on Tuesday and he was like yep I'm in so um, that's it we leave and we're all just kind of can't believe what we all just witnessed and I had worked like a month maybe six months straight before that leading up to that and the next day was a day off so I was really excited just to like decompress and take the day off that next day and sit on the couch and watch a NASCAR race. And 
sure enough, uh, Mike Sunheim texted me about five o'clock that day and he goes, Hey man, uh, we're, we're getting a lot of requests here. Um, can you be on a flight to New York city at seven in two hours? <laughs> I was like, well, let me go ask my wife. So I went and asked Katie, I was like, Katie, can you drive me to the airport? And she was like, why? And I told her and she goes, Oh yeah, like you're going, I'm driving you to the airport. So fly to New York that night, meet up with Dave in the hotel. We both grab a quick bite, go to sleep, hit the ground run the next morning. We do the today's show, Golik and Wingo, um, Fox and friends, Dan Patrick show, like, you name it, NBC Nightly News, you name it, we were doing, like, the biggest and the best media hits, stuff we could never do, even if we, like, won the Stanley Cup, and it was just really cool to be along and see how gracious he was through all this, and, you know, he certainly had um, a, a bigger reason for this platform, um, you know, every single interview, he made it a point to, to use, uh, you know, this giant megaphone to try to reach out to other people who had received kidney transplants and say, Hey, just cause you have a kidney transplant doesn't mean you have to change your life. Like you can still accomplish everything you want to do, which is really cool to see. Um, but the best part of the whole day was definitely Colbert show because that was not planned. Um, we had a flight at three o'clock. We were doing our last hit with NBC Night Lose at Rockefeller Plaza at the ice rink at noon and Colbert's people would reach out and they're like, Hey, can you do Colbert tonight? So I was like, hold on, I need, to ask, I need to ask Dave. And I was like, Dave, I know you don't know what the show is. It's the number one late night talk show in the U.S. It's, it means we're going to get back to Raleigh at midnight tonight instead of 7 o'clock. Like, are you willing to do that? And he didn't even hesitate. He was like, yep. So it was awesome. He, he nailed all his lines. Those all were live. Like, both those things he did were live. And he just nailed it. Um, and it was so awesome to be backstage and, and see all that stuff. Like, Tyra Banks and Haley Steinfeld were actually the two other guests that night. And I was so desperate to meet one of them, but they were just, they were big time. They had security and they were just in and out. Whereas me and Dave were just sitting backstage all day, soaking it in. So <laughs> yeah, that was a whirlwind and get back at midnight that night. That was the trade deadline. We traded for Vatnin and Shea and um, Trocheck that day. So I was going back to a, a new locker room the next day and having to meet new players and, and, um, Brady Shea was actually on the flight back with us back to Raleigh that night. And he immediately was like, Dave Ayers, this is amazing. Um, so yeah, it was cool, man. It was, it was definitely a whirlwind and I was just gassed at the end of it. But like I said, it's just you, when you're in the middle of something, it's kind of like your wedding, right? Like when you're, when you're in your wedding, you're like, wow, this is, I only am going to get one of these. I'm experiencing something special and just kind of a weird feeling knowing that you're in the middle of something you remember the rest of your life that's kind of how I felt those 72 hours where I was just like this is unbelievable and I'm really thankful to be in the middle of this and experience it but now it's all over and you know I'm, I'm sure you're still trying to catch your breath from all that because even just hearing it I'm getting tired like just like just <laughs> emotionally and mentally I'm tired right now having to hear that story and yeah. remember following and just it's, it's crazy and especially with the news like today I mean this will be you know released later but just the the, the magnitude of, of Dave getting the award today was just yeah. and we had to push back our zoom call today so how was that today kind of going through that you know award you know nomination and, and winning and stuff like that Dude, Dave Ayers is the gift that keeps on giving because <laughs> it just it doesn't go away um, I mean, we're sitting here trying to think of ways to stay relevant and, uh, the NHL does their moment of the year contest and he wins it easily, obviously. So, uh, yeah, we had, we had another media availability with him today and him and I stay in, in pretty close touch. 
Um, so it was easy to get him to jump on a media conference call. And um, yeah, well, hurricanes are back in the news for something positive, which is literally my job to keep us in the news for positive things. So yeah, Dave Ayers is the gift that keeps on giving. It's kind of, it's kind of like a uh, get out of jail free car, like in a low, uh, let me contact Dave Ayers. About something right, real quick. Right. So anytime that we have a low from here on out, we're just going to be like, Hey, you guys remember Dave Ayers? And boom. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like pulling out like a baby picture or like, or like pulling out like a puppy out of thin air. Like, Hey, look at this kind of a happy right. distraction. Well, that's, for that's why teams, that's why like the Capitals have their team dog. That's why they have the team dog. You watch after when these teams with dogs, they lose the puppy content increases. That's why they have it. <laughs> well, the hurricanes, we have a, uh, a pig or a hog, whatever it's called. That's good. That's good to have, but it's different. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a, a point I kind of want to close up with, because, you know, you're surrounded also with like the team and just the community around, you know, hockey in general, right? I mean, DC, these bigger market teams have that community. Um, what do you see as far as the hockey community within North Carolina and Raleigh, just from what you've seen from the players and kind of the, I feel like an emergence of hockey being more popular with the youth now. Um, where do you kind of see hockey growing in this particular area of Raleigh you know, moving forward compared to what it was when you and I were growing up? Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you said that because I'm, I'm homegrown. Like I was only exposed to hockey through the hurricanes. Um, my, my family, we were big sports fans and a pro sports team moves in 30 minutes up the road heck yeah, we're going to go check it out. And we loved it. And we got season tickets. And um, I mean, I was, I was nine years old the first time I ever watched a hockey game. And through loving this team, this organization, I've made it a career. Like my life has been completely altered because of having the Hurricanes and Raleigh. And um, like, it's a massive, if not majority part of my life. Um, so that's why it's like, it's stung to see kind of this lost generation, um, I guess between, you know, your and my generation and then the next one, um, because the hurricanes just weren't good enough to keep anyone's attention. And, um, I mean, I get it. You don't want to go see a team lose every night. And, um, I think that, you know, that, that generation, the kids that grew up in that time, like, yeah, they, they might not have the same experience that you and I had being a kid growing up, but I mean, the, the energy around this team since Tom bought it, the energy around this area and this community over the last two seasons, um, it just really validates uh, everything that we believe in um, as a team. And to me personally, selfishly, it, it really validates my decision to come back here and try to be a part of this. Um, I'm such a small part of it. All I do is, you know, make sure the bus leaves on time and make sure these guys talk to the camera, right? Like, but you, you can't help but feel super invested um, in, in the team. So, man, we are, like I said, like we are about to make some noise on the ice. Uh, we've started making some noise off the ice. Uh, we've definitely increased our uh, community outreach and our charitable efforts of late. I mean, you can see it. The, the car flags are back. The bumper stickers are back. The hurricane shirts and hats are back. Not just in Raleigh, but, you know, Chapel Hill, Fuquay, Charlotte. Like, doesn't matter where you go, you can see hurricane stuff now. And that's what it should be. Like, we're, we're the only hockey team in the South, really. Nashville's too far away. We're not going to count them. And we, certainly Florida doesn't count as the South. We're the only hockey team in the South. 
Um, in Raleigh, we're the only game in town. We're the only show in town. Like, it, it, like these guys should go to Harris Teeter and be mobbed by fans. I know they don't want that, but that's how it should be. And we're starting to get to the point now where um, the fruits of everyone's labor are starting to show. But, you know, we're just getting started and we got a long way to go. And I don't think any of us are going to stop until we get, we get another cup and further validate uh, my return to Raleigh. <laughs> if anything, if Canes win a Stanley Cup, it's not for the for the community, for the franchise. It's for Pace Sagasser to validate his decision to exactly. come to Raleigh and, exactly. to, and, to, and to hop in front of every other um, player on the team and get the cup from Jordan himself. You got it. And, man, it's not a matter of, of if, it's when. Yes, absolutely. Pace, this was awesome, man. This was, uh, this was so insightful. Um, and also, it's just cool to see someone that I know be a part of the Canes organization and like for me my brother too like it's just it's cool to see what you've done with the team and how it's just been exciting to you and we're kind of like living vicariously through you and all of our friends are that all of our friends we have together and stuff it's cool seeing what you've done with the team and I think it's I think you're in the right place um and it's just cool to get this kind of insight from you from a team that's yeah. exciting like you said I mean you you and your brother you guys are OGs man you guys have been through the ups and downs so yeah. I hope you guys get to enjoy the the success as much as anybody. Absolutely. And we definitely do. Again, Pace, I appreciate this. This has been awesome. I can't wait to upload this and let everyone else hear it. I know my brother will probably listen to it 20 times. (laughs) 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 All right, Pace. Well, like I said, I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, man. 